Thank you for welcoming me and uh, thank you pastors for inviting me to the pulpit. Send you greetings also on this uh, Advent uh, Sunday from my church at Wesley. Grace and peace to you. And uh, this uh, morning's uh, uh, theme on God as Porter is uh, something that is in the middle of a very difficult uh, chapter in Romans. So I need to give a little bit of background on uh, this. So Romans is a long book, the longest book that uh, uh, Paul wrote, longest letter, to a congregation that doesn't know him well because it is not one of the churches that he founded. In fact, Roman Christians were probably Christians before Paul became a Christian because uh, many of these people probably were there at the day of Pentecost and they went back to Rome and founded the church way before Paul himself became a Christian. So some of the leaders were more senior to Paul and uh, Paul had not made a journey there before so they were unfamiliar with Paul. And so here, the first eight chapters of Romans Paul mentioned to them about the gospel, how mankind was doomed, but for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And then he explained how we are to live this new life in Christ. Now in chapter 9, 10 and 11, I suppose Paul had already by then 25 years of ministry as a pastor, as a church planter, as a debater, as a teacher, and there were many kind of retorts and challenges during his seminars. So here in chapter 9, 10, and 11, it is as if he was putting in some of the frequently asked questions that people often challenged him. And he wanted to address this, anticipating that as he wrote a letter like that, the Roman Christians will still ask, hey, what about Abraham? Uh, hey, what about this incident? Hey, Paul, you, you mentioned all this about the gospel, but you forgot about, about the issue with the government and things like that. So Paul wanted to address some of these frequently asked questions. And in chapter 9, there are three key questions that he wanted to address. And uh, when we do the scripture reading, you will see that they are underlined. First question is verse 6. Did God's promises to Israel fail? After all, the majority of Israel rejected their Messiah. They even crucified him. And even to Paul's day, most of the Jews just rejected the gospel's message. So does it mean that God's promises to Israel or to Abraham had failed? Question two, uh, was God unjust in favoring some over others? Look here, look at how God decided on Isaac decided on Jacob, decided on King David. Was God biased to some people? How come he didn't go for so many others and it seemed as if he condemned some? And thirdly, did God victimize some people? Verse 19. Look at Judas Iscariot. Look at Pontius Pilate. Look at the Pharaoh. Did, did God unfairly kind of victimize some people because of his irresistible will? So these were some questions people threw at Paul whenever he gave a talk or a seminar or a preaching of the gospel. And Paul anticipated that this would be frequently asked questions that the Romans may have and so he wanted to address this and also other questions in chapter 10, chapter 11. And so in chapter, uh, in verses 20 to 24, 
Paul uses imagery of God as porter to help us understand the image of the porter in relationship with the clay and how it is also with God and us so that we can connect the dots, so to speak, and say, yes, I have some questions like that too. In my modern day, I ask these questions and perhaps the picture of the imagery of God and and the, uh, the porter and the clay helps me to understand this better. So that part I have highlighted in yellow. So let us go into the scripture reading and you will see the three questions underlined and also the passage on God as porter in yellow. So let us read this together. Verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved by Isaac, uh, Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture say to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the porter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
So Lord, thank you for these words of Paul in describing the relationship of the potter and the clay and how we are to live our lives and respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pottery was one of the oldest inventions in humankind. In the Middle East, it was discovered maybe about 7,000 years BC. So long before Abraham came into the picture, they had discovered pottery. And how was that so? I suppose they realized that after the campfire the night before that they have fired, they realized that the clay that's usually soft and pliable underneath becomes very hard. And so mankind begins to recognize that if we are able to use clay, which is very pliable, and make some kind of equipment, maybe a plate or a bowl or even a spoon, and we put it under intense heat, it converts into something marvelous. It is rock hard and it is even waterproof. Wonderful, isn't it? And so with that, they realize that the porter has a very important ministry and work in the village. Every village will have a porter and everyone talks about the porter because it is a needed kind of a skill. We have so many Old Testament references to, to the porter and the clay and God had used that as pictures and we will make reference to it. And so let us see how Paul uses this relationship of God as porter to answer these frequently asked theological questions that they ask of Paul. So first of all, God as porter is sovereign. The porter definitely has the right over the clay as Paul relates in verse 21. Doesn't the porter has this right? He has the absolute power, right? How he wants to manage his clay. And so we see many references of how God chooses and how God calls. Verse 12, we see, Him who calls. Next, verse 16, it depends on God. Verse 18, whom He wants. Or verse 24, whom He called. Verse 15, God says, I will have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion or mercy. So we see that the porter always has the rights over the clay as he forms it. And in this relationship, we need to recognize the sovereign God has the same rights over mankind, over the history, and over nature. After all, He is the maker. He is the one who forms. Think about how differently our attitude may be when sometimes we say to ourselves, Oh, I'm my own person. Oh, I'm a self-made person. I answer to no one. And in reference to Isaiah, how this attitude is carried, where Isaiah says, you turn things upside down as if the porter were taught to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to, the, to him who formed it, he did not make me. He knows nothing. Do we sometimes come with this attitude? But let me say that resistance or rebellion of the clay against the porter will not frustrate the porter's agenda or his will. Instead, when the clay rejects or resists, 
it will actually lead to ruin of the clay as we see how Israel had to go through exile. Let us know that the sovereign God is not answerable to any of us. In fact, as Paul related in verse 22 and 23, what if God chooses things this way? And what if God did things this way? He's sovereign. He acts consistent to his own character. But in case we are fearful of that, let us be assured that this character is revealed to us in the coming of Jesus. That when Jesus came to us, we recognize that He is actually Abba Father. He's sovereign. He answers to no one, but He acts as Abba Father to us. As a Father who had sent His Son. And that's why Paul can say, God is for us. He's not against us. So let us respond to Him as He calls us with these words from uh, Isaiah who says, Yet, O Lord, You are Father. We are clay and You are the porter. We are all work of Your hands. Instead, when we relate to sovereign God, let us learn to yield, let us learn to submit, let us learn to answer when He calls us. God is sovereign. But God as porter also is a God with a purpose. God with a purpose. Have you ever seen a porter sitting in his workshop and he is without a purpose? He sits there, he has a lump of clay in front of him, but he cannot decide what he wants this morning. Shall I make a plate? No. Shall I make a jar? No. Shall I make a spoon? Maybe not. If a porter is without a purpose, he can sit there for the next four hours and he will not produce anything. A porter is always purposeful and a porter works with a purpose. And so Paul quotes and he says in verse 21, sometimes he makes some for noble purposes. He sometimes also makes something for common use. But he has a purpose in all his, his works. And we recognize that also in verse 11 where he says, God's purpose in election. He has a purpose for all that he does. And so Paul helps us trace God's purpose into the Old Testament, into the time of Abraham. He says God's purpose has to do with salvation. And he goes all the way back to Abraham and says, Look here, in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And his purpose started there when he called the first family. The first man and his family said, I am going to do this. And so he revealed that as we follow the purpose of this Almighty God through Abraham, we see then that his calling went on to Isaac and not Ishmael. There is a purpose for it. And this purpose shows us that it has nothing to do with the birthright. It has nothing to do with being Abraham's child because some of Abraham's child are also not considered Israel. And so God, in His purpose, mysterious purpose, chose Isaac, showing that it is not by birthright. And then we see the next generation, when two twins were still in Rebekah's womb, God had already purpose and decided. He said that I will choose Jacob and not Esau. 
Why so? Say, even before any of them had done anything wrong, right or wrong, or how their life panned out, whether they were rebellious or not, God had already purpose. There was a choice in God and it showed that God has a specific purpose. And we go now, why King David? Why this king? Why that king? Ah, now when we come to the last days, when we receive the gospel, we realize that the purpose is to usher in the Messiah. And so down the line, now comes Jesus Christ. And we recognize that this promise that was given to Abraham, in you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed, starting from the first family. Now we see that it is done through the Messiah, Jesus. So now we see that the purpose of God in salvation plan comes to us and we rejoice because it comes to us now and we begin to understand it in these final days. But of course, someone will say, Hey Paul, wait, 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 wait. What about the Jewish exile? Didn't the exile prove that God's purpose had failed? That God kind of forsook this nation and threw them up all the way to Babylon. Again, the imagery of the porter. One day, Jeremiah was asked to go to the porter's workshop and look at him doing his work. And then God said, the pot he was shaping was marred in his hands. So the porter formed it into another. O house of Israel, he said to uh, Jeremiah, can I not do to you as this porter does? And God reminded Jeremiah through again the imagery of the porter that sometimes God had to rework, especially when this lump of clay was so rebellious and uncooperative in his hands. He had to say, I have to redo it. And the exile is like that. But now in these last days, we recognize that God has done a reworking but a marvelous reworking in these last days when we understand that how the porter had reworked according to his purpose, that it now includes us, he says in verse 24, even us whom he has called, not only Jews but also Gentiles. Hallelujah! He's telling the Roman Christians, especially the Gentile ones, now you begin to realize that this purpose that started in Abraham. This purpose that the Jews all were proud to be associated as the children of God now comes as we relate, recognizing that the purpose now comes to the Gentiles. And that has been the promise all the way to Abraham's time, that we Gentiles are now in the salvation plan which started with Abraham. Once we were considered objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. That was what the Jews always said to the Gentiles. You are the goyim. You are outside the, the, the fellowship of the chosen people. You will never be received. You can never be a Jew. But now, think of it. We are now received and we have seen the riches of His glory. We can rejoice that we are included into God's salvation plan that He had so long ago in the Old Testament. But not only that, He now calls us His objects of mercy. That means we are the vessels or the channels of His mercy. We are now seen as the hands and the feet of Jesus as He sends us forth. 
He sends us off to clothe the naked. He sends us off to shelter the homeless. He sends us off to feed the hungry, to visit those in prison and those who are sick, to win the loss. As we say in our Holy Communion service, we always say that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. Hallelujah! We are now part of this mysterious purpose that God had fashioned all the way from Abraham's days. Isn't that wonderful? The next picture of God as Potter is He has knowledge. God has knowledge. And in here we see how the, the, the clay seems to talk back to God who formed it. Why did you make me like this? Isn't it so often with us sometimes in our prayer? We say, God, this is not fair. God, this is not right. God, this is not for the best. As if I know better than you. Well, let me say that the clay conforms to steps one, step two, step three, step four. The clay goes through different steps. But the porter would be mindful of steps one to ten, even at step one. For example, the porter is commissioned to make a pot for a plant. It has to be a 24-inch diameter pot that is deep enough to contain a tree. And this plant is going to be placed in the, in the royal palace. And so at step one, the porter has to determine what kind of clay he needs to choose and the amount of clay that would be able to be fashioned to be a 24-inch diameter pot fit for royalty. At step one, he has to determine all this. So think about it. The porter knows the end at the beginning. So too God, our porter. Someone beyond our time, beyond our space, has knowledge and has foreknowledge. Even at Advent, we are reminded of how it's always mentioned, all this happened to fulfill what God has already spoken through the prophets long ago. And it is possible because God has that knowledge and that foreknowledge, even while He gives freedom and free will to men to act. So He can say, as Paul relates in verse 9, Sarah shall have a son. This is not putting pressure on Sarah or on Abraham. God already knew the year before, Sarah will have a son when I come back to visit. Long before that birth. Or in verse 12 where he says, the older will serve the younger. This is not to condemn. But he knows that in time, the older will serve the younger. Reference to Jacob and Esau. Or Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Because he could see how their lives developed and how they chose to rebel or be obedient. Or verse 17 and 18 where he says, I raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose. Or he hardens Pharaoh. He already knew what is happening when he said it in the present. Or to mention objects of wrath prepared for destruction because of the rebellion of some people's hearts. So we see here God's knowledge 
Prophecies can be recorded years before the events. And we must understand that Pharaoh, Judas Iscariot, Herod the Great, Pontius Pilate, they were not victims. They were not robots or puppets that God had programmed for wrath. They all acted with the free will that God had given them, but God, like the porter, has knowledge and foreknowledge. This is how uh, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul describes it. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. It's possible because God has that perfect knowledge and foreknowledge. And so one way of relating to this verse 18 is to say that God has mercy on all he foreknows will trust him. And God hardens all those whom he foreknows will reject him. And this is how we can see it from the perspective of God who has perfect knowledge. And yet, Isaiah says of the attitude of mankind, you quarrel with your maker. You ask questions like, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. How we challenge God as if I know better. Why did you make me so small? Why did you fashion me to be so short? Why do you allow events of October 2019 to happen in my life? And I feel like I'm still carrying that burden today. Let's remember, as God spoke through Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. How God has a higher view of things compared to our individual human way of looking. Instead, we have to respond and say, Lord, there's so little I understand or know about myself or about my world, or about the situation I am in. And there's so little I understand about your plan and your purpose. Instead, let me learn to seek and obey you with all that I am. When you call me, teach me to respond. And then God as Porter is a God who is gracious. The God of grace. And a Porter needs to be gracious and patient. You know, when a porter works on the clay, you cannot rush, you cannot force the issue. Some days the clay is really too dry and you probably have to soak the clay for a few hours or even days to get it in the right texture. Some days the clay may come to you and it is just too wet and you cannot even start working. You need a process of letting it dry or get drier before you work at it. Otherwise, as you work on the clay, it will just slump over. It will not stay as you want it. So a porter is always patient as he works with his clay. And see, we see here in verse 16 how Paul re relates. It all depends on God's mercy in all this. Or God bore with great patience 
Or it says that He makes the riches of His glory known to us and that is in Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord, as we recognise how God works with us with much grace and patience. And throughout the book of Romans, He picks up all these pictures of how God is gracious to us. For example, Romans 3, 23, 24, He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we can be justified freely by His grace. Or in Romans 5, where He says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in our Methodist tradition, we call this prevenient grace. That means God has given us grace even before we were ready to acknowledge Him. While we were yet sinners, Christ has already come to pay the price for our salvation. This is prevenient grace. Or in Romans chapter 5 again, where he says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Those of the people who say to Paul, But I'm such a terrible sinner. You know, my family cannot forgive me. Society cannot forgive me. I cannot get a job because of the terrible wrongs that I've done. But Paul would say, Yes, but his grace abounds. Even when you think that your sin has increased so much grace, will increase all the more for you. Or Romans 6 where he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ who came for us. And so we must remember, we depend on God's grace because we who are objects of wrath cannot claim justice before God. We cannot say this is not just because if He were to be just, we would all perish straight away. But we should plea for God's grace, mercy and patience upon us. Truly, we cannot claim justice before God when we are really the objects of His wrath. And here Paul, in a sense, gives a testimony when he wrote to Timothy. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on Him and receive eternal life. And so it is like an invitation to one and all to recognize that even when we consider ourselves outside the the. the the opportunity to receive because of our manifold sins, God's grace abound to us and that God as porter is gracious in His dealings with us. If only we would repent and come before Him. And so we go back to our beginning where Paul talks about these frequently asked questions. And he asks himself, God's promises to Israel, did they fail? No. And what about God? Was He unjust in favouring some? No. And did God victimise some? Again, no. Because we understand from this picture as it presents God as our porter. And the porter's relationship with the clay, He is sovereign. He has the absolute right, but we are not fearful but assured because He comes as an Abba Father in Christ Jesus to us. And God as a porter has a purpose. He has a salvation plan right at the beginning. And now today He receives us as the objects 
of His mercy. We are now His vessels to bring His gospel to the lost, the least. And He has perfect knowledge as a porter. He knows what is best. We only need to submit and yield as He calls upon us. And He is God who is gracious. He deals with us patiently. He deals with us with mercy. And He invites all of us to come to Him in repentance and to turn over to Him and follow after Him. Let us pray. So Lord, as we think about our relationship with You as our porter, teach us to yield. There are so many things in our lives that we are not in control of, neither do we understand or know. But You, Sovereign God, You, God, who has a purpose, You, God, who has that knowledge and gracious God, you come to us and mold us and make us to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.